The Longhorn family mourns the loss of a legend as Augie Garrido passed away from complications after a stroke this last week. Garrido coached the University of Texas baseball team from 1997 to 2016, where he led the Longhorns to a postseason berth in 16 of his 20 seasons. He was a coach for nearly five decades and coached the University of Texas again for 20 years. He was 79 when he passed. Rest in peace, Coach Garrido. Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burnt Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content at burntorangenation.com. Before we jump in, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton of visibility. Share this with your friends, your coworkers, somebody you know. Love the University of Texas sports. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man whose lyrics are like an Uzi. Kyle Carpenter, Kyle, how are you? Hey, I'm good, all things considered. It was a uh, it was a tougher week of Longhorn sports than we all would have liked, but uh, you know the uh, women's basketball team's still going strong, and uh, I'm getting incrementally better from my uh, my whatever mystery illness that the four trips to the doctor can't confirm. But I feel like a human today, which is better than last week. So we're getting there. Kyle toughed it out last week. We're proud of him. Uh, just like some teams toughed it out this week, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. So we've got, obviously, Kyle alluded to it, some men's basketball. There was a disappointing showing in the NCAA tournament. The women, however, not disappointing. We will talk a little baseball. Spring practice is about to start up, and then finally we will close the show out with some bang the drum. So let's just let's just pull the Band-Aid off quickly, Kyle. How does that sound? Yeah. So the men's basketball team got a favorable draw in the NCAA pool. We talked about it last week. Got a 14-point lead that they built up against the Nevada Wolfpack, and then somehow managed to blow that lead and lose in overtime. Uh, Nevada went on to upset number two Cincinnati, so that is a bit of a uh, a bit of a silver lining on that cloud. But we're not going to talk about this a ton because let's not beat the dead horse. But what the heck happened, man? What happened? I think it's pretty simple. Um, everyone says, you know, the NWO is for life, uh, but we all know that the uh, Wolfpack is for ever as uh, Conan used to say in WWE. Um no, I really tried to uh really tried to make myself feel better by watching old clips of of the outsiders Kevin Nash and Scott Hall and and uh Conan and Sting with red face paint. Um <laughs> tune in for our other podcast Dorks Watching Wrestling in 2018 today. Um but no, uh this was this was a rough one. I, I got off work early on Friday. Went to the the bar with some friends, uh, a lot of a lot of Texas exes, Houston bar. Shout out to McIntyre's. Um, it was a good crowd. We were ready for a, a Longhorn win, and I don't know why. I don't know why we we all got our hopes up um, and allowed for heartbreak. It'd be it'd be a lot better if we could just really truly keep the expectations low on this. Um, I mean the uh, the horns. Should have gone in. I think they had a nine point lead at half. They, they should have gone in with a double digit lead. Um, they, they really should have had a double digit lead most of this game. They were the better team. Um, they just stopped executing. And I don't know how many times we've said that. Uh, I never want to be this guy, but you know, you, we're going to talk about what some of the players coming back and not coming back, but one that we're pretty sure is a lottery pick is Mobamba. And he, uh, 
he fouled out, and I want to say each of his last three fouls, each was more infuriating than the last. Um, the kid plays aggressive and, and, you know, does what he's supposed to do on the defensive end. He's going to be around the ball in, in foul-type situations, but the fact that the three in a row went on him that were at best questionable was a little bit frustrating, but I don't think, you know, three foul calls and one player not being there truly uh, tipped this game. I think Texas not executing Texas, not protecting the lead, Texas, not extending a lead, um, you know, Texas stopping running effective offensive sets. There was, there's was a lot of things that happened uh, in the, the second half and, and a little bit in overtime of, of the game that were, that were troublesome. But I mean, you knew Nevada was a good shooting team and, and they weren't shooting hot in the first half and they would, they would heat up. You knew that was coming. You just hoped that Texas could prepare themselves um, by, by doing enough offensively when they had a little bit of the momentum on their side basketball is a game of runs and it's always going to run back especially in march madness you're never just going to walk a team out of the gym um unless you know you're you're truly a a, an elite team so um they were always going to make a run and when they did i just saw it coming and i i uh had been sick so i said i hadn't drank a beer but as overtime went i I did i ordered i ordered my first beer and texas basketball drove me drove me back to drinking i've never felt more uncomfortable with a double digit lead than i did in that game yeah, like I, there's no two ways for me to say that. I just never felt comfortable. They seemed like they were um, they were playing above themselves for a little bit. I th- well, I say playing above themselves. They're playing at the level that they probably could and should all season, but they they never sustained that at any point throughout the season. So I was worried about it, and and my worries came to fruition. You know, I am an admitted Texas sports pessimist. Like that's just who I am. I don't believe good things can happen post Colt McCoy. Uh, it's really where, where we're at, maybe post case McCoy, which is a weird thing to say, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. So yeah, I was not comfortable with that. And, and it showed, you know, I, I probably showed my son a lot of bad ways to watch sports during oh, that no. game, which is a very <laughs> infuriating second half to watch, like watching yeah. that lead just disintegrate. And it just, it was quicksand. There's nothing you could do about it. You mentioned the Bomba fouls, like three of his five fouls were just pretty awful. Um, they yeah. were real, real bad. You know, there's not a ton you can do about that when you when your best player fouls out uh, on some some BS fouls. There's not a ton you can do about it. So, all in all, it's kind of a fitting way to end a very disappointing season. It was a disappointing truly, game, and it was a downer season. So, let's let's just move on. We'll look to next year really really briefly. Uh, you mentioned it during your analysis, so it's decision time for a couple of guys. So um, the way it works in the NBA now is that players can go through some of the pre-draft process. As long as they do not hire an agent, they can go through uh, the combine and working out for one team. Uh, and then you can withdraw with up to 10 days after the combine, which you get your results and your analysis. So uh, we're pretty certain Mobamba is gone. He's a pretty uh, consensus lottery pick. Uh, so we'll not talk about that. But the name that a lot of people are really swimming around is is Kerwin Roach, Snoop Roach, a, a favorite of the podcast. Is is he gone? Is he a guy that's going to depart for uh, G League pastures? I, I like the way you put that. Um, I, I have a feeling, just just the look in your eyes, that we might disagree on this one. I think he comes back next year. I think that the stink of this year can do two things to it to a player. You can say, "I want out of here. I want to," you know go and I, I think he's certainly going to feel his options out and and um you know he's, he's probably slated in the second round pick he's a he's a hyper athletic guard 
kind of like an Isaiah Taylor, who's the unfinished product, uh, more athletic, I think, than Isaiah Taylor. But, you know, the, the unfinished product, who's really not a not a true point guard, um, doesn't really have the shooting to be a, a pure two guard, you know, kind of fits somewhere in there. Uh, had the commitment to defense this year that I think is going to be his biggest upside. But I mean, truly, if if he comes back one more year and gets a chance to make a name for himself as a defensive stopper um, and can, you know, get a couple more highlight plays and, and really polish up his offense a little bit. I, I think that if he stays a year, his draft stock rises. And especially if they end up putting a winning team together, if, if some of the things break Texas's way for a change and they can put a, a decent, you know, season together, then you just get more eyeballs, you get more looks, you get more buzz. I get a feeling he's not going to go. I mean, of course, Bomba gone, but I have a feeling we get everyone else back. Now, what do you think? Yeah, I, I'm i still, kind of, it's kind of a toss up. It depends on who you look at as it stands right now, where he, where he rates out. Obviously, there haven't been a combine, there haven't been those types of things. But, you know, ESPN doesn't have him in their top 150 prospects. So if that's how he shakes out, Son, you better come back to school. Uh, but, you know, like NBADraft.net has him number 39, which would put him in, in the draft lottery. So there, uh, not the draft lottery, but he would be a drafted player. So for me, I don't know. I think I think he could use another year of polish. I think this Texas team next year has a shot. I don't want to say to be better, but maybe be more complete. Yeah. You know, especially, you know, Lord willing, Andrew Jones is able to come back from his, uh, you know, his treatment. He's been, you know, he's been seen on campus. He was there watching the ladies uh, play this last weekend. So if he can come back, you've got Jericho Sims, who has a ton of upside. Texas has some, a pretty decent recruiting class. You've got two top 15 guys in in Gerald Liddell and Kamaka Hepa, which is a fun name to say. (laughs) So those top two guys are kind of big bodies inside. You got a 6'6", 180 small forward and a uh, 6'9", 210 power forward coming in with Sims with Dylan O who's probably going to be back I don't know what unless he transfers or retires right uh, he'll be back next year which depending on who you are you may want that to happen we'll just leave that there (laughs) so yeah I I think this team has a has the capability to obviously have more than a six-man rotation like they did toward the end of the season um but I think, again, Snoop Roach is a guy that could come back, and I think he'd be the guy. Like, he would be the guy for a year and get to carry the team, uh, lead the team, and, and show scouts exactly what he can be when he has a supporting cast that can really lift him up. And I think one of the biggest things next year, too, is you saw a guy like Matt Coleman, who this year in the clutch situations, when it broke down and it was just basketball players making basketball plays, and, and you know, he went out and just did what he didn't overthink it and just kind of did what he needed. He looked great. Um, I think another year of coaching and Matt Coleman's going to be a really, really good point guard next year. I think he's going to be someone who gets, gets, ends up getting looks. I don't know. He might even stay, uh, two more years, but it's going to benefit Roach to have a point guard who's more developed and has more to offer him as far as initiating the offense, getting him good looks, getting him the ball. And also he can be kind of the number two ball handler um, and not have to have that responsibility. So um, I think, you know, you get a guy like Jacob Young, who is so hot and really, again, just raw, you know, just bulk score out of nowhere. A guy like that who gets a little more on his game. Um, again, Dylan O, love him or... <laughs> like a lot of basketball Twitter a few days ago, hate him, you know, is, is going to add more to his game. He's going to be uh, hopefully deciding to play defense as well. Um, so, I mean, I, I think what you lose in Mobamba is is not easily replaceable, but I think you have enough talent and enough guys if everyone comes back who take a step forward that this is an ultimately better team. And if, if I'm a guy who's on the fringe, I want to be a part of that because it's only good for me. And truly, I mean, you saw this team. There was just, there was a bonding level, especially after everything that happened with Jones off the court. There was, there was a family atmosphere. These guys 
really feel like they've been through some battles together. So I almost feel like that may lead in the favor is just to, you know, to come back for him or to come back for this team and family that's been built around that. I would, I would love to see it. I would, I would really like to see that team kind of gel a little bit more and have a, a better, deeper run and a better, deeper shot at being better this year. There is a good basketball team on campus. Yeah. Really good basketball team on campus. That's not a sideways shot at the men's squad that is just claiming how good our women's team is. So the women's basketball team just did what they did all year and absolutely dominated an overpowered team. They came in with an 83 to 54 victory in the first round of the women's tournament over Maine. We said we're the lobster rolls, right? That was their mascot. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So man, it was uh, kind of a beating. Uh, next, the ladies are going to take on Arizona State. Uh, that would be tonight at the time of recording, 8 o'clock. So this is going to be the fourth consecutive Sweet 16 if the ladies can pull out a win over Arizona State, which they probably should. Yeah, and I think people throw the word mollywop around a lot. Actually, I don't know if they do, but... Uh, no, they don't. Uh, well, I personally throw the word mollywop around. You and I do, because we're old. <laughs> More often than I should. Uh, but this was an old-fashioned mollywopping. And uh, Texas out-rebounded Maine 43-12, to which I had to double-check, and that's a real stat. Um, and also... And also shot 62%. So they, they made most of the stuff they put up and gobbled up most of the stuff that Maine didn't. That's a pretty good way just to win. Um, it was a good enough game that Texas was able to play pretty much their whole team. Like it was a, you know, pre-Big uh, 12 game or something. So, I mean, that's great. Uh, but really, you're going to see a test tonight. I do think Texas is the, on paper, very much the better team against Arizona State. But again, you got to play these games. So, But if Texas comes out and plays the way they did in the first round, then we will see some burnt orange in the Sweet 16 which I think it's been a decade for the men, but um, excited for the, for the ladies uh, to, uh, to get going tonight. We've said it before and we'll say it again. Texas is a women's sports school, volleyball, women's basketball, swimming and diving, track, track and field, and field yep. women's sports, golf, tennis, women's sports, softball. I actually don't think the softball team is very good this year, but it's okay. It's fine. So quickly, we're going to hit some baseball. Uh, Texas opened a big 12, uh, open big 12 play with a sweep Come on, the sweep over the Kansas Jayhawks. I guess all of the rock chalk was in in the basketball arena. So, yeah, Kyle, quickly, what did the baseball team do differently after losing five straight to to win three straight and kind of right the ship? Yeah, I mean, it's the world's most excusable five-game skid. It was all against the number three and number four team in the country. Um, They won the first game against Stanford, lost the last four, um, and then then lost – the last three, excuse me, and then lost two against Arkansas, who were both very, very, very good teams, and especially going to Arkansas was tough. But there still was a statement needed. Uh, Texas had a losing record, needed to come in and do something big. So sweeping Kansas, who's not, don't think of them as football Kansas, but they're not quite basketball Kansas, somewhere in the middle. They're a, a pretty decent, could probably end up being like the fourth best team in the Big 12. So opening with a sweep is pretty big. Um, I do think that, and I have to say this real quick i think that this one was a little bit for augie uh number 16 watching down from the heavens on this team had to crack a little smile because they played with heart you know they looked like a team that was not going to lose um based on you know the emotions that were pretty high a lot of those kids were recruited by coach garrido so um just want to say what a class act he is is getting on twitter after uh the news was great just to hear all the personal anecdotes all the stories people had he was a man of of wisdom and candor and and uh, great enthusiasm and a wonderful personality. If you've never seen uh, Inning by Inning, which used to be on Netflix, don't think it is, but you should track it down. We used to fall asleep to it in college. <laughs> 
more nights than not to his tirades and his wisdom and just a, just a great look inside Texas baseball. But the, the kind of great news was that because of the strong performance, Texas had two players named in the Big 12 awards. Cody Clemens, who's just been – the ball looks like a stinking – beach ball to him right now he's just smashing the ball i uh, was named the big 12 player of the week and mason hibbler a guy i'm loving he's a transfer from odessa college uh this year was the big 12 newcomer of the week um and both of them are just fun to watch they're they're hitting great they're out there um just having energy about them i think uh clemens is hitting 366 and hibbler's at 377 i think that's right and the rest of the team is combined 250 from behind the plate so they really are carrying the offensive load right now um i think texas needs to even out the bottom end of their lineup um they have some chances to do it um before they get to some tough big 12 games and and really not a huge let up in the schedule that's probably been the toughest in the country so far um this week coming up Tomorrow, in fact, on Tuesday is the number 22 Bearcats, Sam Houston State Bearcats on a nine-game win streak and one of the hottest teams in the country. So if they can win that and then go into a really winnable one against Oklahoma State this weekend, then uh, can feel a lot better about this Texas baseball team and feel like they've turned a corner. I think this baseball team can be good. I don't want to say something special because that, that feels like too much pressure for this team from what I've seen so far, but if they can get... It seems like either the hitting's on or the pitching is on. Thankfully, this last weekend, it seemed like both were on. But uh, that's what it seems like. So if they can get them both going together, they can make a run at something. And I think uh, it could be a, a interesting season to watch shake out toward the back half of Big 12 play. Uh, well, you may not be aware of this, but spring practice starts on the 20th. So tomorrow morning at the time of recording, basically when all of you are listening to this, uh, spring practice will have started. So it's football season again. Woo. Come on. Football. We're back. Yeah. So the biggest storylines are actually working on spring previews right now for the written side of the site. So if you uh, want to check those out, you can, but quarterback battle, it seems like every year we don't know who's going to be the quarterback since Colt McCoy, basically, we haven't really known who's going to be the quarterback coming in. So, again, we've got a quarterback situation, so we'll talk uh, a bit. So, Kyle, based on this last season, based on your thoughts and feelings, man, who is the guy who should be the guy? And do we even know that yet? Uh, I mean, I think if you pulled the coaches right now, I think they would say it's pretty close to 50-50. Um, I, I have to think that um, – they probably are leaning one way, but I think you're going to get a pretty even shot with the two returning starters. And heck, if if you know Thompson or Rising comes in and, and really looks great, then we're going to start this whole cycle over. I pray that we don't um, and and give them some run. I think they'll take good snaps, and and I'd love to see you know see some red shirts in there and get some some freshmen who aren't immediately pressed for action. But uh, I think you're seeing a two horse race, of course, um, between Ellinger and Bichelle. And if it's me, if I have to pick. I think right now I I like Ellinger and and the main thing is is he had a great freshman season I, I don't think he had you know as good a freshman season as Bichelle had two years ago but had a great freshman season, um, and still looked like a freshman. Uh, a lot of the mistakes, a lot of that oh you know the groans, the the kind of head scratching things that he did, you can chalk up to being an eighteen year old kid. You can chalk up to being a kid who is such a supremely more talented athlete that he was used to making winning plays and having to just always make the play, make the extra throw, you know, as you're going down, try to throw it up as you're, you know, going out of bounds, try one last pass, you know, against your body, just the things that you, they, they, they coach out of you with a little time in college game. Um, so I think a year of experience is actually going to benefit him more 
Um, but, you know, I think having a, a more competent line this year, I'm knocking on any piece of wood I can find near me, um, will benefit both of them. But I think will really especially benefit uh, Bouchelle. So I think it could go either way. But if I'm putting my money anywhere right now, just gut feeling, uh, I like I like Ellinger. From what we saw last year, I feel like the coaches want it to be Ellinger. But it's hard to put in a guy who's making boneheaded mistakes. And they're boneheaded mistakes by the by the virtue of a season before he was the quarterback at Westlake. And those plays aren't boneheaded mistakes. They're what gets you recruited by Texas. So, you know, I think Ellinger is, is the more athletic of the two. I think Ellinger is much more of a natural leader. I think Ellinger has that get out in front, get the guys hype. Bouchelle's definitely not that guy from what I've seen. Again, I'm not at practice. But from what we've seen on the sidelines, that's definitely more Ellinger. But I think in all of this year's struggles – People forget how potent Shane Bouchelle can be with a competent offensive line and with a competent running game. Now, I will say way more than competent because 2016 had a record-setting year by Deontay Foreman. He was put in one of the best rushing performances in the entirety of Texas Longhorn history. He's up there literally with names like Earl Campbell, Ricky Williams, Cedric Benson, like those types of guys, Jamal Charles. Actually, funny fact, the last guy before Deontay Foreman to rush for more than 1,000 yards was Jamal Charles in his last year at Texas. So it's a decade, just putting that out there, just just a decade, no big deal. But, you know, in that season, when he had a competent offensive line, when the offensive line wasn't scrapped together with, you know, bubblegum and prayer, he passed for nearly 3,000 yards, which is the seventh best season of all time. He um, hit 2,000 yards in t- just 10 games. So he hit it with two games to spare. The only people that had more games, Colt McCoy and Major Applewhite, both had 11. Uh, he was the second fastest to 2,000 yards behind Major Applewhite. So those are two of the best quarterback names in Texas football history. Let me ask you that because you're, you're predicating it, and I agree with you completely. I think if you have a running game to give Bouchelle that extra second, that play action uh, like we had, then I think I might change even change my tune. Um, who do you think the guy is who gives Texas the best shot this year with a new line coach, new blocking schemes, some new guys in there, especially um, bringing in a, a competent, um, you know, proven starter in Calvin uh, Anderson, left tackle, Um Who do you think the guy is to make the Texas running back great again? Uh, Texas running back, man, that is tough. I, that position for me is possibly the most confusing because Sam Ellinger was the team's leading rusher by (laughs) literally every, every statistic imaginable. He was the team's leading rusher, which is super sad. Uh, For me, it's, it's a toss up between Daniel Young and the captain to Carter. It's one of those two guys. I think if Carter wasn't suspended for the bowl game and we got to see him for one more game, I think Carter is probably the guy, but Daniel Young looked really, really good in that bowl game. And he also showed his ability out of the backfield, which is huge because if you can catch a ball on a wheel route, like, come on, Jesus, like, that's some points on the board. You know, Texas, after having such a bad go of things, I mean, and it's hard to say a bad go of things, you got a guy like Malcolm Brown that was there who's playing in the league. You got a guy like, um, you know, Jonathan Gray, who injuries kind of hampered him, and, and he happened, he just had the misfortune of playing during one of the worst periods in Texas football history. Yeah, I think in any other era, that guy's probably – really really good so yeah for me it's a toss-up between one of those two young guys I think unfortunately Kyle Porter has has seen his day and he's probably um, not going to see the field much this year so gun to my head running back I 
think it's Daniel Young. Uh, look out for Keontae Ingram, who's not on campus yet, but he's another guy that's going to come in. But for me, it all rises and falls on can Calvin Anderson and can Mikey Grandy come in and contribute on day one like they're projected to? Because if they can be the guys at guard and tackle, this line is completely different. Because you've got guys that can hold it down, and then you've got Vahe on the other side. Uh, you got Nicholson. You've got you know Shackelford. You've got guys that are good. You just need to be. You, it's hard to have forty percent of your offensive line hurt or injured constantly and have anything going running or passing. I mean, I don't know how much is in my bank account today. I'm sure not a great deal, but I would give at least sixty percent of it to see an Auburn offense if Herb Hand can bring. Um, you know, some of that blocking scene that led to, of course, Gus Mazzalan's a genius, but just led to some of that dynamic Auburn offense with a Todd Orlando defense. Like, oh my gosh, I, I'm getting, I'm getting excited just thinking about it. Wait, I, I've done it to myself again. I, I'm, I'm hyping myself into another uh, national championship, happening. Texas Longhorns national championship. You heard it here first. Um, no, but you know, I just, uh, if we can really get a dynamic offense, if we can get, um, you know, the blocking lanes that, that or the running lanes that were created from Herb Hand's offensive lines um, in the past. Like, oh my goodness, it doesn't matter who. Any of these guys are talented enough with, um, I love Captain and Tennille Carter. That's the one of the best things you said on this podcast. Uh, don't let that go unnoticed. Um, and uh, and Daniel Young, I think either of those guys. Um, I also love that you said Kyle Porter's probably done as much as it pains me as a Kyle. I, I'd like to see that. So um, I, I, I love it. Like, let's stick a guy who's competent back there and let's give him, you know, truck size holes to run through and let's let's do that for five to seven yards a carry and set up the the play action pass game and and the quick hitting pass game and, and be an unstoppable offense like let's just do that is that tough too much to ask you said dynamic running game I don't need dynamic I just need competent this was I'm working on my running backs preview it should be running here in the next couple of days Texas's four starting running backs this year combined oh no barely scratched 1200 yards <laughs> Uh, barely scratched. They averaged 3.58 yards per rush, which is 108th out of 129 FBS schools. As a team, as a team, including leading rusher Sam Ellinger, the freshman quarterback, Texas only netted 1,815 rushing yards. Yikes. Like, I don't, I don't need dynamic. I don't need Jamal Charles. I don't need Ricky Williams. I don't need Cedric Benson. I need a guy that teams cannot just be like, nope, we're not even putting seven guys in the box. We're putting five guys in the box, and we're dropping six in coverage. That If you can give me a guy that teams need to respect, I'm fine with it. I'm, I don't need good. I, I don't need great. I just need decent. I just ah, I need decent. I don't need great. I just need Brett Robin. You, I, I hear you. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of like the last like give me a Selvin Young like Selvin I, that's a bad example because Selvin Young was really good. <laughs> um, I can't think of a, I can't think of an average running back like give me we just didn't used to have okay. them. We, we didn't used to have them at all. We just had we had greatness. We for a decade we were spoiled with greatness. <laughs> the guy it, it it's it's tough being the Joneses for so long because then when you're not it's like what the heck are we doing but that brings us to everybody's favorite part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions on the 40 acres big bertha and we bang the drum so kyle what are you banging the drum on this week uh, i'm gonna go back quick to basketball and i don't want to spend a lot of time here um so shaka smart finished 100 regular season games at the end of this uh regular season 
three seasons, you average about somewhere between 32 and 34 games a season typically. Um, so he, he hit 100. Um, and in those 100 games, he split it right in half. He was 50 wins and 50 losses. Uh, didn't make the tournament last year, had tournament loss this year. Um, not helping the case anywhere there. Um, 50-50. Again, extenuating circumstances, a litany of injuries. Um, you know, the, the, the absolutely irreplicable situation that happened with Andrew Jones this year. Um, just some, some stuff that was bigger than basketball and, and bigger than, than a coach can truly uh, game plan X's and O's for. Uh, I get it. I take all that into consideration. I'm not a guy who's saying that Shaka should go. I just want Texas fans to be mindful, you know, how good we had it before and how angry we were. Um, and, and just think, you know, can always get a little worse before it gets better. Um, and I think hopefully we're, we've done all the worse and then we'll now get better everywhere. Um, Rick Barnes in his first 100 um, had a 68% winning percentage, um, you know, and, and, and really truly, kept that or, or better his entire career um, at UT. So it's, it's, it's hard to think that we've had an instant upgrade in, in uh, the other UT. Um, Tennessee was uh, introduced to the classic patented Rick Barnes, uh, build your hopes up before ripping your heart out in, in, in the tournament or in the end of the season fashion uh, as they went out uh, the tournament this weekend. But, uh, but, Still, um, we got there every year. We, we looked in a position to pounce most years. Um, I need that from Shaka. I, and I'm not saying that it's a hot seat. He has to do it or he's gone immediately. This is um, me as a me as a fan just saying, I need to see a team that looks like they're getting better every week, uh, every year, you know, just, just heading towards something, building towards something. And so as he gets more of his, his recruits on, his more philosophy and system in into place here on campus. Um, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt for now. And, and again, extenuating circumstances this year, but um, it needs to be better. I'm just going to look. I have mixed feelings about Chaka because he is nine games better than he was a year ago. And it's hard to fault a guy who you lose your best player. You know, one of your best players to tragic situations. You've got another guy who's a key contributor on your team that you have to sit for the last four or five games of the year because of some crazy, you know, illegal stuff that's happening. There's been a lot of bumps in the road, Um, but I need this progression to continue. Like if you are, I don't even need nine, like nine games better this year to next year would be astronomical. You give me five games, like maybe go one game deeper in the big 12 tournament, go one game deeper in the NCAA tournament and I'm fine. I just need progression. You've got a good recruiting class coming in. Uh, you've got you've got a lot of talent. You know, especially if Snoop Roach comes back, you've got a good core of guys. So let's do something with it. And, and again, I'm not on the Fire Shaka bandwagon. I'm not even close to the Fire Shaka bandwagon. Um, but I do think to something you said, Texas fans need to have realistic expectations. I think we expect Texas to be the pinnacle of everything. And I I'm one of those people that I think. Texas should be one of the top schools and everything, but you cannot have the expectations without the support. If you're on Twitter every day, every game wanting to fire the coach, eventually it's going to happen. Like you have to support. If you want the teams to be good, then go to the games and actually cheer and give Texas a home court advantage or home field advantage in the case of football. So we'll, we'll get off that for a little bit. I'm, I'm just, we, we have to temper our expectations. 
we have to temper our expectations and we have to really support the teams if we want to hold them accountable. You can't hold them accountable for things you're not willing to support. So my bang the drum, like I, I mentioned a couple times, I'm working on spring previews for, for the site and I I did not realize how bad this offense was this last year for football. Like I, we talked about it a lot, how the defense was great and the offense couldn't quite get there, but I didn't, I didn't think the cupboard was as bare as it was. And so I mentioned some stats about the running backs that were, I was, I'm working on right now the, the inside receiver. Cause that's kind of a position of need for Texas, which is crazy to say because Texas probably has the most talented core of receivers we've seen in quite a long time. Uh, but, Texas's inside receivers in 2017, stick with me, 10 of the 13 games that they played, the listed starter and inside receiver was held to three or fewer catches, and in Texas's best offensive performance against San Jose State, little Jordan Humphrey, who was listed as the inside receiver, was held without a catch. There's only one game where the listed starter and inside receiver was the team's leading receiver. Now, I get that, like, that guy is not going to always be the guy. But he has to be a threat. Yeah, That inside guy has to be a threat. Because if Colin Johnson's going to take the top off the defense, then the inside guy has to be someone that the defense respects. Or they're just going to bracket coverage on that big guy, which we saw happen quite a bit this year. And I know that there was some inconsistency as far as uh, who got playing time and who got reps and all of that. But the receivers need to help out the quarterbacks. I, I'm a firm believer that your, your receivers can cover a lot of sins in a lot of different areas. And I think Texas has so much talent at that position. They are just dripping. It's an embarrassment of riches in a lot of ways with the, the talent that we have at receiver. They've got to figure out a way to produce. They've got to figure out a way to make themselves indispensable. Cause you can see in offenses when the inside guy, when the slot guy is good, the rest of the offense seems to hum because you can run those, you know, those tunnel, um, those tunnel screens that are basically an extended handoff. You can run some underneath and some Cadillac routes. You can run those things that open up the over the top stuff where a guy like Colin Johnson really flashes his leather. So I, the inside receiver position, little Jordan Humphrey is a heck of a talent and he's really good. And I, I think he's going to be the guy this year. And that's really what I'm getting to is that little Jordan Humphrey is going to be the guy. And unless Joshua Moore comes in in the fall and completely lights it up, I think Lil Jordan Humphrey is going to absolutely murder. And I really do think the Texas passing game is going to take the next step this year. And I'll give you one, one name. And this is worst case scenario. You said UT hasn't been good uh, since there's been a McCoy on the uh, offensive side of the ball. Um, and so I'm going to give you a name, a long shot who didn't really seem in play for Texas, but recently recruit uh, recruiting, uh, Sites are warming up a little on, on Brew McCoy, who's the, you know, one of the, if not <laughs> the most coveted prospect in the in the country, um, a top 10 kind of consensus player on both sides of the ball, but could be coming in at receiver and potentially could be like a, a stretched out big tight end. Um, Brew McCoy, which is already, you know, just one of the Texas pregamers' favorite names, Brew McCoy, I'll say that again, uh, full name Horace Brew McCoy uh, could be a name. It'd take a little while. He's uh, he's in the class of 19. But if we could get that guy uh, on campus, I hope it doesn't take that long. And I hope he doesn't go to USC. But if we could get him, Texas could have another great McCoy. I love it. That's 
Kyle coming with the deep cuts. Uh, thank you so much for listening in again this week. We're normally not this negative. It's just kind of a tough week. Um, thank you so much for listening in again. If you like what we do, please give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton of visibility. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it's Google Play or Stitcher or TuneIn. Again, we're still not on Spotify. Get it together, Spotify. Uh, Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. Uh, you can find me... Um, Pretty much there right now. Not not writing, uh, but we will probably have a uh, a Texas pregamer coming. Uh, we're hoping to do one for the spring game, which is coming up. But if not, then definitely for the uh, the first game of the season. You can find that over at Barking Carnival. Um, but aside from that, you can find me here on the pod. You can find me on Twitter. I am at ghgerdage. You can follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. And if you're into nude nerd, nerd news, not nude nurse, <laughs> nerd <laughs> news, uh, comic book movie, stuff like that, I do another podcast called Two Woke Nerds. Check us out as well. This week we're talking Jessica Jones Season 2 and a little bit of Avengers because that's coming up. Huge nerd, what up? Thank you so much for listening in again this week and until next time, hook up. Hook up. Hook up.